turn with me to the book of Philippians. Let's go to chapter 2. We want to cover verses 1 through 11. We want to speak on this topic now. True humility in Christ. Now, as we had gone through chapter 1, Paul was dealing with uh, being incarcerated. We know that he's in a Roman prison. We know that it's considered house arrest. He had access to people to visit him. He ministered. He prayed. He wrote four prison epistles from this house arrest. But we also know that it was frustrating for Paul. He wanted so much to be out there with the church. And so he went through hardship and through pain, and he called it suffering. And yet also, while he's incarcerated, there were those that were preaching in pretense. And so Paul says, even through air, the gospel will be preached. And so now we come into chapter 2, and Paul begins to speak about this humility. I think oftentimes we... In the church age, we can look back to the times of the Puritans, somewhere around the 1700s. And if you recall the Puritans, they were, you know, they folded their hands, they bowed down their heads, and the more somber they looked. I mean, they would not smile. It looked like a lemon had hit them. And that was supposed to be humility. And yet the Bible speaks of the inward man the inward woman, that humility would be part from our heart, not the outward man. Be careful if we think, you know, we could go around and with our hands folded and our heads bowed, and we can even uh, declare it, well, I'm trying to be humble. That's not the idea. And Jesus is the great example of humility. Now, I want to set this up for you. Imagine Jesus, the Son of God, Savior of the world. We know that he is God incarnate. In other words, he takes on the body of a man. But Jesus is in heaven. He's in the heavenly domain, and he is God. And then he humbles himself. The Bible says he empties himself. And he comes down to this earth. And he takes on the form of man. He becomes one of us to die on the cross uh, to give us life, life eternal. And so our greatest example of true humility is Christ. When you look at the Hebrew word, uh, humility uh, means gentleness. It can also mean affliction. But if you look at the Greek structure, which we're going to see this morning... Humility means lowliness of mind. It speaks of somebody that's come to that place of meekness. Somebody that's come to that place also as the Hebrew, gentleness, mildness. And it's interesting, if you've been a Christian long enough, you will see somebody and you will be attracted to them. You will be drawn to them. And it's the humility of Christ that's in them and through them. And you would even respond, I would like to be like them. I would like to be more like them. And that is the humility of Christ, this beautiful picture. And so let's begin here. Look at verses 1 and 2 as Paul declares now. He says, therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, 
if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy. And then it just goes right into verse 2, and then we'll get back and make some commentary. Fulfill my joy, Paul says, by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. So listen as Paul begins to develop this. Look at verse 1 again, and I'm going to give you some translation. And he's asking this rhetorical question now. Is there any comfort or encouragement being in Christ? Is there any consoling in agape, speaking of God's love? Any comfort in his divine love? If any fellowship, communion is a translation, partnership in the Holy Spirit. If any, affection. Now, we understand the word affection. I'm trying to be affectionate uh, to somebody that's maybe down and out. But the Greeks had a translation. Uh, the word affection, it comes from the bowel area, where we get our English word, the spleen. Now, it's kind of strange for us. I mean, I wouldn't go around, hey, listen, I really have a bowel uh, situation with you. No. But it speaks about the depth of our soul. I guess we could better understand it, that gut feeling. I hurt for my brother, Ralph. I hurt for my sister, Belinda. My heart goes out uh, to them. And so Paul is saying, if any uh, fellowship, any communion, any partnership, if any affection bows the depths of the soul, and mercy, which speaks of uh, compassion. Then he goes into verse 2. And he says, complete my joy or my gladness. And I ask this question, how? By having the same love of Christ. By being in the same mind of Christ. This mind of Christ. Be one in Christ. And notice the translation here. Be in one accord, like-minded. Now, the best translation that the Greek is trying to give us there, in one accord, like-minded, together in soul, together in soul, united in spirit. Bind's Dictionary of Greek Word says, having hearts in unison. And so I desire the heart of God in my walk. You should desire the heart of God. Now, please, don't misunderstand me. We're not Christ. You're not Christ. But I desire to be more like him. I desire to be humble like Jesus. And so we know that Jesus, in his ministry, he always gave. He never desired anything in return. And that's divine love. That's agape love. It's always giving, never wanting anything in return. Let me give you two verses. Just mark them down if you're taking notes. Listen to this. I want to set it up. In the Gospel of John, chapter 17, verse 20 and 21. Now, let me bring you to understanding. In John, chapter 17, it is called the high priestly prayer. Jesus knows that he's going to the cross. And he spends time with the Father in prayer. Now, a lot of times, we go to Matthew, chapter 6, and we see the Our Father. And many of us as youngsters, we learn the Our Father, Our Father. And we would say it, we would repeat it. 
But in Matthew chapter 6, which we call the Our Father, they were instructions how to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, holy is your name. You're recognizing who you're praying to. You're recognizing his reverence, his holiness. They were instructions how to pray. But here is the high priestly prayer in John 17. In all reality, this is the Our Father. Matthew 6 were instructions how to pray. And so John 17, verse 20, Jesus says, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Jesus was praying for the church. Jesus was praying for those that would receive the gospel message. Father, this is the reason you sent me to die on the cross for them. And we're incorporated in that prayer. Verse 21 says that all of them may be one. And this is this one accord. This is this like-mindedness. Father, just as you are in me and I in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. And so we understand we're called Christians. The best translation, followers of Christ. Another translation, uh, Christ-likeness. And one of the translations I like, we are considered little Christ. Again, we're never come to that place of saying, I am Christ, but I want to be more like Christ. Now, we'll develop this further. Let's go to our text again. Look at verse 3 now. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind. Let each esteem others better than himself. And so this position of humility we're going to see is that we should be concerned about others. And one of the things that I've drawn from through the years, I, I, I like to be concerned about the needs of others. And I believe as I'm doing what God's called me to do, then he takes care of my needs. I, I basically don't pray for myself. I thank the Lord for those that are praying for me. But I pray for others. I pray for you. And in return, I can see God taking care of my needs. And so here in verse 3, Paul says to the church at Philippi, Church, don't be selfish. Don't be, the translation for selfish, don't be striving with emptiness of self-ambition. Trying to please man. But do all things as a Christian with true humility. Learn to consider others more than self. This is true humility. Now, being in ministry for many years, being a Christian now for many years, when you have concerns for others, when you reach out to help others, you will get ripped off. Because there are charlatans out there. There are people that make it uh, even their ministry, if you may, just to rip off the church, to rip off Christians. We've seen it here. Some of you have experienced it. But yet, the Bible says, don't be selfish. Don't strive with emptiness, with your self-ambition. Me, myself, and I. That's the way we were before we were Christians, before we came to Christ. And in fact, basically, you still thought of yourself, husband. Your wife was second, and your children were third. 
And we could care less about our neighbors. We could care less about, you know, our other family members. Yet the Bible says here not to have this self or, or selfish ambition. It's emptiness. Trying to please men. Trying to please self. But do all things as a Christian. True humility. Learn to consider others more than self. And I can guarantee you. God will bless you. Now look at verse 4. It'll develop further. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. And I think that's the church. That's the body of Christ. Look to help others. Their interests, their cares, their concerns, not just my own needs. Oh, it is so important to do that. And I know that it's tough to be a giver. It's a gift. And I'm not talking about just finances, but to be a giver of self. There's a beautiful passage in the book of Acts in chapter 20 and verse 35. Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Oh, wait a minute, pastor. I don't like that terminology. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And if you look at Jesus's ministry, you look at the three and a half years. Basically, Jesus was a giver. Basically, Jesus gave of himself. Now, there's a beautiful passage of Scripture. I want you to write it down. We've shared it before. In Galatians chapter 6, in verse 2, listen to what Paul tells the church at Galatia. Bear ye one another's burdens, and you will fulfill the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? Number one, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy soul. Everything that's within thee, love God. Then he says, love your neighbor as yourself. Oh, Pastor Bob, you don't know my neighbor. They're, they're, they're evil. They're hurtful. They're painful. Their dog always does their business in my yard. And I mean, we murmur, we complain. I've been there. I, I know exactly what you're talking about. But bear ye one another's burdens, and you will fulfill the law of Christ. The translation is here, carry one another's load of burdens. Humble yourself and help uh, your brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, those are the easy ones. But humble yourself and help the down and out. Humble yourself, and here comes thanksgiving. And maybe we have the opportunity to bless a neighbor, to bless a coworker, or to bless. Maybe you can go to the school and ask the teacher of your children, hey, is there somebody in this classroom, a family? Are they in need? Would you let me know? And I just want to remain anonymous, but I'd like to bless them. I'll tell you what, God will bless you. God will take care of all of your needs. It is so important to understand the terminology of being called a Christian. It's interesting as we go uh, through the book of Acts. The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, give us the story of Christ. And we know that uh, he came to die, he was buried, and then he rose again, and then his ascension. But then we go into the book of Acts. And Jesus said that he would send the comforter, uh, the parakletos, of uh, the Holy Spirit. And we know in the book of Acts in chapter 2, the Holy Spirit fell. And it was prophecy of the book of Joel, chapter 2. But it's not till Acts chapter 11, verse 26, 
It says that they were first called Christians at Antioch. In fact, to describe a believer, to describe a Christian, they used to say, those of that way, the way of Christ. Those of the Nazarene, those that followed Jesus Christ of Nazareth. But here in Acts chapter 11, verse 26, they were first called Christians at Antioch. Look at verse 5 now, back in our text. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ. Imagine. Paul is saying, have the mind of Christ. Have that mind of humility. Have that mind of love. Have that mind of giving. And not wanting anything in return. And so in verse 5, let this mind be in you. What mind? And he gives you the answer, the mind of Christ, which is in Christ Jesus. Uh, the word Christian here means Christ-likeness, a, a follower of Christ. And so let this mind be in you. Now, in response to verses 4 and 5, I want you to turn with me. Let's go to Romans chapter 15. And I want to look at the first six verses. Paul understood this position of bear ye one another's burdens. Interesting that Paul uh, was a Pharisee of Pharisees, a very religious man. Paul was part of the Sanhedrin. In fact, they tell us that historically, if you were part of the Sanhedrin, financially, you were set. And so Paul comes to saving grace. He loses his position as a Pharisee. He loses his place in the Sanhedrin. And Paul basically becomes poor. That's why we find him often in the New Testament, the book of Acts, he was building tents. He was making tents. That was Paul's job. Even though you were educated, you always learned to trade from your dad. And Paul's trade was a tent maker. And so Paul now gives everything to, for everybody. And so in Romans 15, look at verse 1. He says, we then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples. Now the translation there, the failings or the infirmities of the weak. And not to please ourselves. Again in verse 4 of Philippians chapter 2, look out for the interests of others. And so bear ye one another's burdens, uh, the cares of our brothers and sisters in Christ. The cares for the down and out. Look at verse 2 now. Romans 15 still. Let each of us please uh, his neighbor for his good. Uh, leading to edification. And so here's that beautiful position. I don't like my neighbor. But the Bible says to edify them. To build them up. How? In the body of Christ. But Pastor Bob, they're mean. They're evil. They're vicious. They don't go to church. That's why Jesus says, reach out to them. Be an example to them. Be a blessing to them. Back in Calvary Chapel, in I believe it was Santa Barbara, they have a big ministry. And they have a big youth ministry. And one of the youth came in and said, you know, uh, it's, something's really bothering me. I go by this house. It's a corner lot. It's a beautiful home. And it's a big lot. But the... the couple are elderly their kids are moved away gone there's no grandchildren and the yard is run down we can't imagine what it's like in the inside and basically the boy said hey let's pray for them well one thing led to another and it became a youth group project 
And they went down, and they just started cleaning the yard. And the girls went inside and just started cleaning the house. And let me share with you how bad it was. At the end of the weekend, they had taken seven pickup loads of junk from that house. And all the old people could do was weep. That's what brought them to the church, brought them to Christ. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. Build up the body of Christ. It's so easy to go up to somebody. Listen, you need to accept Christ. You don't accept Christ. You're going to hell. Well, you just floored them. But imagine going up to them and saying, well, I notice your lawn needs mowing. And I notice you're maybe not capable. I'm going to do it for you. Or don't even say nothing. Just start mowing it. Now, don't mow the flowers. Mow the lawn. But look at verse 3. For even Christ did not please himself. Listen. But as it is written, and I like Paul, he always goes to the Old Testament. So he's quoting Psalm 69, verse 9. And he says, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Jesus' ministry was all about others. He says, Christ did not please himself. He came to please the Father. He came to die on the cross for you, for me. We were not even born yet, but we were part of the equation. Because Jesus died for the, uh, the past, the present, and the future. Look at verse 4 now. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, our admonition, that we, through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. That's why we study the Word of God. The Word of God gives me hope. The Word of God gives me an escape. The Word of God tells me I can come to the born-again experience. And all because Jesus died for me. Look at verse 5. Now, may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded. There's that word again. Toward one another, according to Christ Jesus. So in this morning's sermon, we're told pretty much over and over and over to be concerned about others. Now, I know it's hard because uh, they've kind of curtailed it here in Las Cruces, but uh, panhandling was a big issue. And when somebody comes up to me and they're hitting me up for money, they're hitting me up for, you know, we'll work for food, I said, let's go. I got some weeds at the house. They never want to do the work. I need some food. I said, let's go. I'll, I'll buy you a hamburger. Well, give me the money. Well, generally, they want to buy liquor. They want to buy tobacco. And I won't do it. But praise God when somebody is hungry. Open up your heart. I told you the story. I went to uh, drop somebody off at El Paso Airport. And so it, I, I dropped them off at 6 in the morning. About 7 o'clock, I'm heading back to Las Cruces. I see McDonald's. I says, hey. I'm going to get me a, a couple of breakfast sandwiches. And I got two of them. And I says, I'm going to enjoy my trip back. Cup of coffee, kick back, listen to, you know, something on the Christian program. And I see this hitchhiker right at the ramp. And the Holy Spirit said, pick him up. And I picked him up. And then I said, are you hungry? And he goes, yes, sir, I am. I says, here. Well, he ate that first sandwich, the first tater tots. And then he keeps looking at the other bag. I says, are you still hungry? Yes, sir. I go, go ahead and eat it. And my flesh, he's eating both of them. <laughs> That's just our nature. 
but it's better to give than to receive. And this is having this like-mindedness. Look at verse 6, the conclusion of Romans 15. That you may with one mind, listen, and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. When the church is Christ-like, Christ-minded, when the church truly is a follower of Christ, it blesses the Father. It blesses the Father. And so this true humility is exemplified by Christ. And man, I don't know about you, but I want to be more like Jesus. I want to have the character of Christ. I want to love because he loved. I want to care because he cared. I want to give because he gave. He gave me eternal life. Now let's go back to our text. Verses 6 and 7. And we begin to see how Paul develops this true humility. Jesus, let me just set this up. As God leaves his place in heaven and he becomes man. He puts on man. This is called the doctrine of the incarnation. You see, many have claimed deity. But only one has died and rose again, and that's Christ. And so look at verse 6 and verse 7, and we're just going to have some uh, beautiful uh, dialogue in these two verses. And so Paul begins here in verse 6, who, being in the form of God, he's speaking about Christ, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, verse 7, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant. And remember, a bondservant was by choice. And in the coming in the likeness of men. And so in verse 6, Jesus was and is God. He did not demand and cling to his rights as God. He relinquished it in heaven, and he became man. But he was God here on earth. But imagine he's not in heaven anymore. This is why the resurrection has to take place. Now I want you to turn the tables for just a second. You're God. You're in heaven. You know how people are now on earth. You're going to come down, become one of them. You're going to die for them. You know what your reaction is? No way. I gave them a way of escape. I gave them peace and tranquility. I gave them perfect life back in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2. Yes, in Genesis 3, they were tested and they failed. But if you know the study of Genesis, on your own, study Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. God already makes a way of escape. God knew that man would fail. And that way of escape there in Genesis 3, 15 is Christ already. Beautiful. Now, verse 7 says here, Jesus made himself of nothing, no reputation. Jesus took the humble position of a bond slave a bondservant, by choice, and he appears in human form. This is humility, church. Again, look at verse 6. The word being, it's beautiful when you look at it. To be constantly in the position of God, he never left that. But he took on the body of man. He left his position in heaven. He was not robbed. In other words, he did this by choice. He gave it up, that place in heaven. Look at verse 7. Jesus chose to empty himself. 
as God in heaven and humbled himself and became God incarnate. He became man to identify with us, yet he was and still is God. Don't take away from his godhood. But he left that place of his domain in heaven. Now the Bible says he ascends and he goes back and he sits at the right hand of the Father. But I want you to see this position. I mean, talk about humility. Talk about caring for others. We're going to see it. Now, I'm going to give you some verses. But I don't want you to turn to them because I want you to pay attention. I want you to listen to them. So I want you to write them down. You can follow it up later, but I'm going to give you the translation here. In John chapter 17, remember the high priestly prayer? In verse 5, Jesus' prayer, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. You see, a lot of times we just place Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But I like to go back to Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God. Now, we read from left to right. Go to the right or go to the left, excuse me. And there's nothing there. Jesus was always there, church. And so in John 17, verse 14 now, still the high priestly prayer. I have given them, speaking of the disciples, the church, the body of Christ, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. That's us today. You see, I'm a Christian. You're a Christian. I'm in the world, but we're not part of that world. You see, that world has nothing for me anymore. Oh, I'm there going to school. I'm there going to work. I'm there raising a family, whatever it might be. But the world has nothing to offer me. And so Jesus comes down from his heavenly domain. He's all God. And now he becomes all man, still God, but leaving his domain. Here's the next verse in 2 Corinthians 8, 9. Listen to what Paul tells the Corinthians. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ... That though he was rich, listen, this is when he was in heaven, yet for your sakes he became poor, radical, so that you through his poverty became rich. Now, don't think about it financially. But Jesus was God in heaven, rich. He had everything. But for your sake, he became man. He became poor. That you through his poverty might be rich. Now, we might never own a 401k. We might never have a retirement. Maybe you're never going to be able to buy a piece of land or a home. And you're just going to scrape through your life. And you're going to die basically a pauper. Man, you are the richest man, the richest woman in the world, if you know Christ. You see, don't think of rich as monetarily, financially, but we are rich in salvation. And I want you to think of this. Rich in eternal life. One day I'm going to go home to be with the Lord. And so another verse in John chapter 6, verse 38, Jesus says, I've come down from heaven not to do my will. Listen to that. But to do the will of him, speaking of God the Father, 
who sent me. Jesus humbled himself to do the will of his Father. Let me ask this question. I'm asking myself. Are we here to do the will of the Father? Am I here to do the will of Jesus? Or is it all about me? Jesus chose to die for us. Have I chosen to live for Christ? Here's another verse in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9. The writer of Hebrews says, But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor, because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. We know that Jesus is God. But he took on the body of a man, and he became lower, listen, than the angels. Jesus, by choice, listen, was a bondservant. He could not be forced to do that. You cannot be forced into the kingdom of God. Well, Jesus saved me. I didn't ask him. It's your choice. You can choose to receive him. You can choose uh, to neglect him. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 39, classic verse. This takes place three times. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. It says, going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and he prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Jesus, as man, knew the pain. Knew that it was going to be painful. Isaiah writes to us so vividly of the suffering Savior. Psalm 22 speaks of, of the suffering Savior. The Old Testament prophets wrote of it. Isaiah tells us that Jesus' body looked like it had gone through a chopping block. When I see Christ on, on a cross, and it takes away from his death. I mean, he bled it all. And so listen to this last verse now. 1 Timothy uh, chapter 3, verse 16. Paul tells Timothy, beyond all question, the mystery of godliness, he says, is great. He appeared in a body, listen, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on uh, the world, and he says, was taken up in glory. That verse has a lot to say. Paul is telling us that God was manifested in the flesh in Jesus Christ. But by choice, Jesus humbled himself and he became God incarnate to give us life. Life eternal. That, that's a mystery. It baffles the mind. Now let's go back to our text. Look at verse 8. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and he became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Church here in verse 8, Paul is saying, Jesus willingly humbled himself. Being found in appearance, listen, the word appearance speaks of fashioned himself or he put on flesh as a man. Jesus humbled himself, made himself a base or lowered himself. He was pressed down by choice. Jesus was obedient. The word is submissive to the death of the cross. Jesus did this to please the Father because there was no other way. You see, if you understand the Old Testament, it was animal sacrifice after animal sacrifice. And all it did was cover. But the blood of Christ 
It's what washes me, cleanses me. You know, when I was a non-believer, I remember hearing the terminology, have you ever been washed in the blood, brother? I says, what? And we don't understand. The blood of Christ. We just studied that passage in Exodus chapter 12. We were studying on a Wednesday night. When the children of Israel were leaving Egypt, the night of the Passover, they took the blood of a lamb and they put it on the doorpost. And when death came that night, all of the doorposts that had the blood of the lamb, they were spared. The firstborn of Egypt died. That was a picture. The Passover becomes the communion table. The Last Supper. Jesus is that complete sacrifice. But here he fashioned himself. He put on flesh. Now we're getting ready for Thanksgiving, and we know right after Thanksgiving, we start to get geared up for Christmas. Christmas is a beautiful time. The whole month of December, who doesn't like a Christmas? Now those that have had tragedies in that month or somebody that died on Christmas. It's very painful, very ugly, and it's not easy for them. But for most, it's a glorious time. And so we look at the Christ child, the baby in the manger, and oftentimes we lose the concept. Oh, beautiful Jesus, baby Jesus, wrapped in swaddling clothes. And the angels were singing, hallelujah, hallelujah. But if you look at that body, that little baby was born to die. That baby was born to die to give us life, life eternal. He fashioned himself. He put on flesh. He made himself lower. We saw that lower than the angels. He was pressed down by choice. Jesus was obedient. He was submissive to the death on the cross. If there be any other way, if not, I will take the cross. That's why when Jesus died, his arms are stretched out. He's ready to give up the ghost. And he says, it is finished. In the Greek, to tell a story, it's done. I accomplished what I was supposed to accomplish. You see, there was no other way. Jesus had to die to give us life. Let me give you a few more verses. Matthew 23, verse 12 says, For whosoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whosoever humbles himself will be exalted. In Mark chapter 9, verse 35, Jesus Christ if, uh, is speaking here, If anyone desires to be first, he shall be last. And so Jesus humbled himself. Have we humbled ourselves? In Luke chapter 14, verse 11, here's Jesus again. He says, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. God will always bless, listen to me, the humble. And again, don't go back to the Puritan age where they thought humility was the folding of the hands, the long drawn out face, the bowing down before you. Oh, I am so humble. Or like some would go up into the mountains and to live in caves as hermits. Hey, we're called to tell others about Christ. And so true humility is what Jesus did. He gave himself up. Look at our next text. Now, verse 9. Therefore, listen to this now. God also has highly exalted him or elevated him, lifted him up. Speaking of Christ, 
and given him the name which is above every name. When I pray, I like to pray in Jesus' name. And oftentimes I'll pray in Jesus' name of Nazareth. I want to make sure my prayers are going to the Lord. You see, because Paul writes to the Corinthians and he says, be careful, there's another Jesus out there. There's another spirit out there. And there's another gospel. And if you've been around long enough, you understand that very well. Not everybody preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not everybody preaches the spirit of Christ. Not everybody preaches about Jesus. There's a lot of concepts out there, church, and we need to know that. Here in verse 9, because Jesus took on the body of a man, it's called the incarnation, God the Father raised him up to the heights of heaven, and he gave him a name that is above every other name. Now, here's the scenario. Jesus died. Jesus was buried. Jesus rose from the dead on the third day. There was a 40-day post-resurrection. Then Jesus was exalted by the Father in his ascension. You find that in Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. Now, the ascension of Christ is very important. He ascended into heaven, and he sits at the right hand of God. All of these verses that I'm going to give you right now tell us that Jesus was to ascend into heaven in Mark 16, 19, in Acts 2, uh, verse 33, in Acts 7, verse 55 and 56, in Colossians 3, verse 1, in Hebrews 10, verse 12, in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 22. But I want you to listen to this verse. In Romans chapter 8, verse 34, listen to what Paul writes. Who is he who condemns? He's asking a question. Is it Christ who died and furthermore is also risen? Listen to the text now. Who is even at the right hand of God who also makes intercession for us. That baffles the mind that Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father and he prays for me. He prays for you. God has highly exalted his son. Recently, my sister, her husband, he had asked, I want you to ask your brother this. What about the Buddhist? What about the Muslim? What about the Hindu? What about all the other religions? Do they believe Jesus is God? And I just answered her with one word, no. What about the Mormons? No. What about the Jehovah's Witnesses? No. You see, it's important that we know our word. It's important that we do comparative religions. Here is the key. You see, Jesus became man, but he died, and then he rose again. And that's a doctrine of the resurrection that we find in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You see, in John 14, 6, Jesus gives us probably the most radical scripture in the New Testament. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man gets to the Father but through me. We've shared this many times. Jesus is either a liar, a lunatic, or he's Lord. It's our choice. Now, oftentimes I'm asked, who raised Jesus from the dead? The Trinity had their hand on the resurrection of Christ. If you're taking notes, in Romans chapter 6, verse 4, it says the Father raised the Son. In John chapter 10, verse 17, the Son raised himself 
from the dead. In Romans 8, 11, the Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead. That's the Trinity. It was working in unison. Think about that. Now we come to the conclusion, verses 10 and 11. That at the name of Jesus Christ, listen, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth. Covers every aspect. At the name of Jesus Christ, every knee shall bow. And then we're going to read verse 11. Every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. In verse 10, every knee shall bow is a prophecy that Isaiah wrote in Isaiah 45, verse 23. So, at the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, every knee shall bow. And then verse 11, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Now, here's the key, something that I struggled with for years because I believed in Jesus. I was born and raised in the church, but I never accepted Christ. I never asked him to forgive me of my sins. I never asked him to come into my life. I never understood the born-again experience. And so every man, woman, every young person, it will experience every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess. We have two choices. Number one, I can bow my knee. I can confess that Jesus Christ is Lord unto salvation. Or every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess, and bow unto judgment. It's our choice. It's our choice. You see, God has made a way of escape uh, through his son. And so Jesus is this true humility. And, and we're to uh, pattern our lives after him. I'll never be Christ. You'll never be Christ. But I want to be more like him. Every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess. That Jesus Christ is Lord. Unto salvation or unto judgment. Either way. Well, I refuse. I'm going to stay neutral. It doesn't work that way. By rejecting Christ, by not accepting Christ, you've chosen judgment. And you see, judgment was never placed for mankind. Judgment was placed for the fallen angels. Interesting. Now, let me just end with this. Jesus, according to Matthew 13, had brothers and sisters. Mary had more children, contrary to what some believe. James, uh, the leader of the Jerusalem church, is considered the half-brother of Christ. And he wrote the book of James. Jude is another half-brother of Jesus Christ. And he wrote the book of Jude. Both of these brothers did not come to know Messiah, did not come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior till after. Now, those of you that have brothers, look at your brother and say, yeah, you're Messiah. That's basically what they did. I mean, I love my brother Ed, but I go, come on, he is not Messiah. He would say the same thing. Bob's not Messiah. This is what James and Jude went through. And it wasn't until Jesus' death, Jesus' resurrection, Jesus' ascension, these guys came to know Christ. Now I'm going to end with this verse. In James chapter 4, verse 10, this is Jesus' half-brother. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. You see, James did not see Jesus as his brother anymore. Jesus 
was God Almighty on earth. Jesus put on man the incarnation. And now James saw him as the Son of God, the Savior of the world. He is my Savior. He is my Messiah. Both James and Jude had to come to that. And no wonder James writes, humble thyself in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Oh, praise God.